Let's pray. Father, as we come today, it is, uh, it's so easy in our hearts to look at those around us and to envy them. It is so easy in our hearts to look at those uh, around us and wish we had it easy. Um, like other people, God, we confess that it is so uh, tempting for us to long for the, the, the riches that others have, for the fact that the, uh, the people around us don't deal with the temptations that we deal with. God, it's so easy for us to look at the world and wonder why the, the unrighteous don't see justice. We look at the world around us and we see at times the wicked who seem to win, whose families are healthy, who can pay all of their bills, who have power in the world, who have popularity in the world. And so God, we come today and we confess that it is so easy in our hearts to worship the lives that other people have and wonder why you don't give those to us. God, we confess that when we think that way, that we are like beasts who do not see the world as it really is, who do not see your holy character and your, your love and your justice the way that we ought to see it. Instead, we just think about ourselves and our circumstances. And so today we confess, God, that sometimes you are small in our minds and other things seem to be so large. We pr I pray that today, instead, your justice would be larger in our minds. Your patience would be larger in our minds. God, that your righteous judgment that will one day come would be larger in our minds so that instead of wishing for easy lives, instead of wishing for more riches, instead of wishing for what we see that other people have, God, I pray that instead we would long to love you as you deserve to be loved. That our confidence for our provision would not come because our bank accounts or our jobs or our, our farms are growing, but because the God of the universe has said He would never leave us or forsake us. God, I pray that You would give us eyes to see You as You really are and our situations as they really are so that in the, the difficult moments, instead of wishing for different lives, God, I pray that we would instead long to see ourselves and to see the world as You see it. That you would use the, the difficult times in our lives to cause us to hope for something that's actually better, not what just seems better in our lives. God, I pray for those in our church here today who struggle with doubt, whether it's doubt about you or doubt about your plans, doubt about their circumstances. God, I pray that you would give them faith, that you would send the Holy Spirit to shore up their faith, that you love them, that you care about them, that you have plans, that you promise to do good to those who are found in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for those today who face crippling guilt and regret over the past. God, I pray that you would set them free in the gospel. Not because we're just all human. Oh, it's no big deal. You can get another chance. But because Jesus, the Son of God, lived and died and rose again so that they can be free of all guilt and all shame. God, I pray today for those that, are, that have so much uncertainty in the future and so they struggle with anxiety, whether it's during the day or in the middle of the night. God, I pray that you would use your spirit to drive out fear and replace it with quiet trust in a, in a father who loves us. 
God, I pray for those here today who are dealing with family trouble, who don't know how to fix it. They feel abandoned. And I pray, Lord, today that You would come alongside and remind them that no matter what happens in our families, You promise to take us in. God, I pray for the churches and the community that are around the communities around us. God, I pray that the gospel would be spoken clearly and boldly. I pray that the confidence in the churches around us would not come from strategies or giftedness or from leaders, but they would come from the word of God that is spoken and is sung and is prayed. God, I pray that you would do again in Illinois what you've done before, which is to see churches planted to see people hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. I pray that that would happen all throughout this area. God, I know even in our church this week that gospel seed has been planted through gift bags that we've given out to students, through conversations that people in our church have had with their family and with their friends. And God, I pray that you would show us that no seed cast is going to be wasted, but you can produce 50 or 100 fold more than we could ever imagine. I pray that you would do that with the gospel seed that has been planted through our church this week. And God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Should imagine a friend or a family member comes and they say, I found this story in the Bible and I don't know what to do with it. Can you help me understand? And let's say this family member comes and they say, I found this story where a rich man asked Jesus what he had to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And in this conversation, Jesus asks, what are the, great, what's the, what are the two greatest commandments? And, the, and your friend says, well, the rich guy says, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But what I don't get is why Jesus tells that rich guy to sell everything he has and then follow him. I want you to imagine your, your family member says, what am I supposed to do with that? Does that? Did you sell everything that you have? What, do, what does that mean? If I, if I wanted to follow Jesus, does that mean I have to sell everything that I have? I want you to think about that kind of situation and imagine, how do you answer somebody who says, following Jesus means selling everything I have? How could I ever do that? What kind of things do you start, start thinking about explaining? I know if you immediately start going, well, I still have a car or cars. I still have all of these things. And we go, Jesus says that loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is like what it means to follow God. And so your friend says, how could a person do that? What kind of answer do you give to that question? How can we love the Lord with everything that we have more than any, so that we're willing to give up everything that we have? It's a hard question to answer. And today we're going to be looking at a story in Genesis that is illustrating this exact scenario of what does it mean to love the Lord and how can a person do that if it requires everything. So go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. We've been walking with Abraham and Sarah through their lives of faith. And here in Genesis 22, 
This is kind of like the high point in Abraham's story. This is, this is where everything is brought all together at one time. Along with some of the, the highest drama in the Bible. Genesis chapter 22. Starting in verse 1. And just to set the stage, at this point Abraham has given up his son Ishmael. Ishmael has been sent away with Hagar into the Lord's hands. The Lord promises to take care of Ishmael. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are left with their son Isaac. All of the promises of God have depended on Isaac, and this is what we, where we get, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and, the sacri- and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us to hear from you what you wanted to communicate to Abraham and to every generation after him. I pray, Lord, that you would use this to shape our faith so that we have, can love you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
Here at the beginning of this story, it says that the Lord tested Abraham. It doesn't say that the Lord tempted Abraham. That's important to know. The Lord is not tempting Abraham to do something that's evil. But the Lord is testing Abraham's heart and his loyalty and his faith. You see, the promises of God are what is at stake in this story. God has made it abundantly clear to Abraham, Isaac is the son of the promise not Ishmael. I am going to bless you and bless your family and I'm going to bless the world through Isaac. And then God says, but do you love me enough and trust me enough to put your son in my hands? This is what is at stake in the beginning of this. The Lord gives him very clear instructions. I love the description here. Your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Like piling on the drama. Uh, Abraham, this is the one, the son that you love. This is, this is your everything. This is the son you have laughed about and enjoyed and you have been longing for that you thought you could not have. The Lord makes it very clear. Abraham, I, I almost hear the question that Jesus asked Peter. Abraham, do you love me? Do you love me, Abraham? Do you trust me? And so the question this story asks is, What's going to happen between Abraham and God? What is Abraham going to do? And what is God going to do? What kind of an instruction is this? What is God going to allow to happen? Verses 3 to 8 then kind of lays out Abraham taking up and doing exactly as God told him to do. Some of the details I want you to notice in this part of the story is that early the next morning, You see, I read this story. My whole life, I've kind of read this story and imagined how hard that would be to hear that instruction. You go, you know, and I've like imagined the drama in this moment, but every detail in verses 3 to 8 is Abraham doing it immediately. He wakes up, saddles a donkey, and starts cutting wood. Like at each point, it's, Abraham takes, Abraham takes, Abraham takes. He keeps doing the thing that God has called him to do, not wrestling and wondering and going, how many days can I put this off? How slow can I drag my feet so that I'm technically obeying, but I'm actually just trying to delay and say, God, did I hear you right? Abraham is like, I heard the Lord, and I love him, and I trust him. And so early the next morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to do what he said. So Abraham takes his son and these two servants. Isaac is at this age. He's not young because he's going to be old enough to hold the wood and carry it up the mountain. But then he asks his father. Well, actually, I notice that then he tells the servants, stay here. We're coming back. Isaac is coming back with me. That's not a small detail. We'll see that get picked up in the book of Hebrews later. Abraham is saying, we're going to do what God told us to do, and we're coming back. So there's this, there's this, uh, this kind of echoing. Notice that God had said, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Well, then Isaac says, Father, and Abraham like echoes the same thing. Here I am, my son. And he, the sons, and Isaac says, where's the lamb that we need for this burnt offering? And he says, God is going to provide the lamb. God's going to provide the lamb, Isaac. 
Just as he's always done before. That's the only reason Abraham could wake up early the next morning and start obeying. If he, because he believes that the God who promised and the God who has provided is going to do it again. So then we see in verses 9 to 19 what God is going to do. Abraham has made it clear. When God calls me to do something, I love him and I'm loyal to him and I trust him, so I'm going to do it. So verses 9 to 19 then shows us what God is going to do. In verse 9 to 19, when Abraham has demonstrated everything, he's bound his son on the wood, everything is ready, he's got the knife in his hand, there is no delay. He is continuing to do what God has told him to do because he trusts him. Then God calls out to him. The angel of the Lord calls out to him and says, and he says, Abraham, Abraham. And what does Abraham say this time? The same thing he's always said. Here I am. What do you want? What do you want me to do? I'll do it. When Isaac says, Father, he says, here I am. And so in this moment, the Lord says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear, that you have regard, that you are loyal and that you love me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So then, just as Abraham had told Isaac, God provides the, a ram with his horns in the caught in a, a, a bush. And so Abraham sacrifices it there. And then he calls the place Yahweh Yirah. Jehovah Jireh is an, another way that you can say that. It's, it, what's interesting about that is that Yirah, this idea of seeing and providing, is what God has already shown himself to Hagar and to Ishmael. This isn't the first time that God has shown himself the God who sees and provides. And so Abraham is now experiencing for himself and Isaac is now experiencing for himself that God is revealing himself to them in this moment. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, the Lord sees and does. But then not only does God reveal who he is and what he's like and how he's going to, to act in Abraham's life, but then notice in verses 15 to 18 that God then reveals his plans. Everything in Abraham's life is kind of coming together in this moment. The son of the promise, who he says, God, I love you enough to offer him up if that's what you call me to. The, the, this son that he, you have now given back to me, now the Lord says, now let me tell you my plans. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. God is repeating the promise he has repeat, oh, made over and over and over. But then he gets specific and says, I will, uh, your descendants will take possession of the gate. Your descendant will take possession of the cities of his enemy. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The Lord reveals his plans and his character here to Abraham. It's not simply a test of Abraham's loyalty. It's also an occasion for the Lord to reveal himself to Abraham and to you and I. You see, Abraham's test reveals what God calls and commands all of his people to. But it also reveals his character and his plans. What I want to sh what I, this passage, I believe, calls you and I to love the Lord by looking to his character and his plans. 
You see, when somebody says, wait, how am I supposed to love the Lord enough to give up everything like the rich young ruler? How am I supposed to love the Lord enough to give up my son, my only son? This path, God calls to us in this passage and says, love the Lord by looking to his character and his plans. I want to show you these three demands from this story. The first demand from this story is to love the Lord. You see, all of this is about loyalty. This is what is required for the life of walking with God. A life of walking with God means that we love the Lord more than anything. We don't just have to wait for the book of Matthew till the rich young ruler comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right here, as the, the nation of Israel is being born, God has made it very clear. If you're going to walk with me, it's going to require everything that you have. Abraham has already given up one son. He's already given up Ishmael. Now he's being required to give up the other one. Abraham, will you become childless again? Because you love me. Abraham, do you love me enough to give up everything? To give up your home? To give up your family? To give up your, your belongings? Abraham, do you love me enough to give up your legacy and your future? You see, this story tells us what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's one thing to be asked to give up your land to give up all of your money, to give up your car, to give up the clothes off your back. But here, he's being asked to give up his child because he loves and is loyal to the Lord. This is what it means to walk with God. This is God's command. And we can't just slide it to the side in light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. No, this passage calls to us and says, if you want to walk with God, it will require a loyalty beyond anything you could ever imagine. It, a loyalty and, and a willingness beyond anything that the world would ever ask of you. What does it mean to walk with God? It means to love the Lord. I grew up, like some of you, watching the Andy Griffith Show. Some of you still watch the Andy Griffith Show. And if you're young and you don't know the show, it's a small town and Andy Griffith is the... Uh, the sheriff or the policeman, and his assistant, Barney, is the comedic relief. He's the funny guy who always gets everything wrong, and he's super eager. And I regularly quote this one episode to our kids, because if you remember, the, there's an episode where they finally get a dangerous criminal in their jail. Do any of you remember that episode? They finally get a dangerous criminal in their jail. And Barney, who they don't trust enough to let him have a loaded gun, gets to take his bullet out of his pocket for once and put it in his gun because this dangerous criminal is going to be tra transferred either to the state police or to the FBI. Somebody's going to come pick him up, but they have a few hours where they have to watch a dangerous criminal in the prison or in their jail. And I, I quote this uh, to my kids regularly because when the, when the, when the criminal is first uh, brought to the jail, they close the door, they lock the door, then Barney starts walking back and forth, puffing out his chest, and he says, the number one rule, do you guys remember? The number one rule. The number one rule here is obey all rules. And so I regularly quote to the kids, kids, the number one rule is obey all rules. 
I kind of do it in Barney's style. It doesn't, uh, I never do it when it's a, a serious moment, but I, the number one rule in this house is obey all rules. I was thinking of that because in this story, this is in the early part of Genesis, still the first half of the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. The number one rule is love the Lord your God. Will you give up everything? That's what it's going to take to walk with God. And so the question for you and I is, do we love the Lord more than our job? Do we love the Lord more than respectability? Do we love the Lord more than being accepted by other people? Do we love the Lord more than our family? Do we love the Lord enough to be misunderstood? Do we love the Lord enough to be rejected? Do we love the Lord enough to be alone? That's the question that Abraham would, is asked here. Is Abraham, do you love me? And that's the question for you and I. Is do we love the Lord? Do we love Him? And so we, as New Testament believers, don't get to lower God's standard and be like, oh, it's okay. I don't break this law or this rule or this rule. No, the question for New Testament believers is, do you love God more than anything else? But that leaves us with the question of, how could I love the Lord enough to do this? Where we, if we could talk to Abraham, we'd say, Abraham, how in the world could you ever get to the point where you would do this? Abraham, we ask the heroes of the faith, how could you love the Lord enough to sell everything that you have, to be willing to give up both of your sons? How could you get to this point? I think that's the second demand from this story, is to look to the character of God. Look to the character of God that we see in this. If we're not careful, we can just limit ourselves as we read this story to the gut-wrenching decision that Abraham has. But I want you to notice that this word provide or see does not start when Abraham tells Isaac God will provide the land. It It doesn't show up midway to late in this story because the name Moriah where God has called Abraham to go, actually means provide. And so this story from beginning to end is the Lord saying, go to the mountains of provision. Go to the place where I'm going to provide Abraham. And so no wonder Abraham is willing to love the Lord because from beginning to end, he has known and trusted that the Lord is a providing God. And so he gets up and says, okay, We're going to the place where God provides, Moriah. So when his son says, Dad, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Then Abraham can say, God himself will provide. That's where we're going. We've come from provision and we're headed towards provision. Abraham is looking to the character of God. Then that we come to that word, Yira or Jira, where he says, the Lord sees and provides. I can trust that the Lord will provide. And so that's how Abraham can love the Lord. Not because he's doing it from this deep reservoir of his own ability and strength. It's because he's looking to a providing God. He says he's done it before and he'll do it again. You see, that is the only power to actually love the Lord. The the rich young ruler's problem is he loved money and he didn't think God had it. 
and could provide it. Abraham is like, no, I know that the Lord will provide. I want you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. We know that Abraham is looking to the character of God because of what we see there in Genesis chapter 22. But then Hebrews 11 tells us this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, starting in verse 17 to 19, describes this episode in Abraham's life like this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And this is how. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And that is the power for Abraham to offer up his son is because he was looking to the character and ability of God and Abraham knew God can raise the dead. God can raise the dead. And so I'm going to love him and I'm going to embrace his promises knowing that my circumstances and the obedience that it seems like he's called me to is not the end of the story. God is the end of the story. And so Abraham believed that God could raise the dead. And so, the power to love God with all our hearts comes from the God who has the power to create everything from nothing and the ability to raise the dead. God is the one that we are called to look to His character if we're going to love Him with all that we are. You see, the Bible does not say, just try harder to love the Lord your God. God uses this occasion to say, look to me who can provide. Look to me and let me be the one to provide the love that you don't have on your own. Let, look to me to find the steadfast love that you need so that you can love me with everything that you have. So this passage calls us to look to the character of the knowing, seeing, providing God as the power to love the Lord. And you see, this isn't the only time in the Bible where God starts by providing and then calls for the obedience. The Exodus, the, we think of the Ten Commandments as, oh, here's the law. But notice that God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt before He gave them the law. This has always been God's pattern as He delivers and provides and sees and then He calls for love and obedience and loyalty. That God's pattern has always been deliverance, then obedience. Deliverance is the power to love and obey. So the question for you and I is, do we look to God's character? Do we look to God's character or do we look to our own hearts and say, let me just try harder. Let me work harder. I want to do this. I want to please the Lord. Abraham says, look to the God who provides and love him. So then the third demand from this story is it, this passage calls us to look to God's plan. Look to God's plan. Notice in verse 15 to 18, God's promises to Abraham become extremely specific. He begins repeating all of the things that God has said before 
And he says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. When we're first introduced to Abraham, that promise is a part of it. God has repeated that part of the promise. But notice what he says in the end of verse 17. Your offspring or your descendant will take possession of the cities of his enemy, of the gates of his enemy. This, you, it's both true that it's true of the people in general, plural, your descendants or your offspring as in multiple. But he's very specific in using a singular word, two singular words here. Your descendant will possess the gates of his enemy. That he, God is promising Abraham a king is coming. Not you're just going to have a lot of descendants and they're going to be rich. A king is coming one day, Abraham. All of the promises of God are coming true in that king one day, Abraham. This is, this is so important that we not just blow past and go, oh, okay, he's promised many descendants. Yes, he's promised many descendants, but he's promised that all of his, his blessings will come through one person. We're, the New Testament is not the first place that tells us about Jesus. This tells us about Jesus. That the promises of God to Abraham and to the, to the whole world, this blessing that will one day, through the, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, it's going to come through one man, Abraham. Manchester, the, all of the blessings of God have come to us through one man. And God has been preparing the, His people all the way back in Genesis. We actually see it, this kind of thing happen the first time in Genesis chapter 3. God has been preparing Israel and He will continue to prepare Israel. A king is going to come one day and that is where blessing is going to come God is calling Abraham to look to his plan and see God's plan to bless the world is a man. It's a specific man. And we can trust his plan because he's going to bless us and bless the world through that one man. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 that Rhonda read earlier points us back to this moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 tells us of God doing this kind of thing right here. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? You see, Abraham is willing to give up his son here, but he doesn't have to. But Romans 8 tells us that God does it in His place. That God is the one who gives up His Son so that all the nations of the earth can be blessed, so that you can be blessed and nothing will stand in between you and God's blessing. God's plan was always to lead us to Jesus. Always to lead His people here to Jesus. Not to just fuzzy, loose, feel-good blessing, but that one day one man would die so that all the nations of the earth can be blessed. One man one day would die so that he can rule all the kingdoms of the earth. 
And so then Abraham and you and I can look to God's plan and trust Him as God calls us to love Him with all of our hearts. As we go, oh, but life is so hard. The bills pile up. The uncertainty of the future is so high. The medical diagnosis is so uncertain. The pain is so severe. The loneliness has lasted so long. Here in this chapter, God reveals Himself as the seeing, providing God. And if He'll provide His very own Son, can't we count on Him to provide all of the other things that we need? That's what Abraham it learns here in this, is that the God whose plan is to redeem the world through the suffering of His own Son could be counted on as a loyal, loving God. You see, God finds and sees the loyalty of Abraham. But shows us that that pales in comparison to the love and loyalty of God towards us. Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. God did not have to sacrifice his own son, but saw it to the end so we can trust his plans and his heart are good for us. I don't know what this week looks like for you. But if God provides the lamb, then you can trust him. I don't know what loving the Lord your God is going to look like for you this month. But if God provides the lamb, you can trust him. I don't, I don't know what your family situation is going to turn out to be with a husband or a wife, with grown children, with, a, with your parents. I don't know what, what, what your situation looks like at home, but if God provides his own son for you, you can trust him to work out your good. You can trust that he will provide everything that you need so that when he says, in that place, love me, you can say, okay, I will trust the character and plan of this God who is like that. You see, we so easily look at this story of Abraham and Isaac and think of the gut-wrenching decisions that Abraham had to make. But Abraham calls to us and says, join me in loving the Lord by looking at His character and His plans. Not looking at your situation, not looking at your heart, not looking at what you can make work out, but look what God can make work out. And will you trust Him and love Him and be loyal to Him more than any of these? This passage calls us to love the Lord by looking to His character and plan. Christian, this is God's command for you. You don't get to lower God's standard to, well, I love God more than my neighbor, more than my wife, more than my kids. I love the Lord more than my parents did. At least that's something. No, God's standard is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do not wave this command away, but also don't do it in your own strength. You see, just as God promised provided and revealed himself to Abraham. He is revealing and providing for you in Christ. Look to him. Let him be your record. Let him be your righteousness. Let him be your wisdom. Let his power be the fuel for loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength this week. Don't do it in your own strength and record. Do it in Jesus. And look to Jesus who keeps this perfectly in your place. So that though we go through the world and we see the rich young ruler 
who says, I cannot love the Lord more than my belongings. When we look at Jesus, we see the rich ruler of the universe who says, I will sell everything I have and live homeless so that you don't have to. Believer, do this in the, in the record and strength that Jesus provides. If you're here and you say, I do not have the record of Jesus. I do not have the strength of Jesus. Joe, how can I be forgiven? How can I be saved? How can I have this record? I know that I should love the Lord, but I have never done it the way I should. Who can save me? Today, look to Jesus who lived the life that you should have lived, died the death that you should have died, and was raised to life so that no matter what the past holds or what the future might hold, you can have the perfect record and strength of Jesus. So that instead of hanging your head in shame and saying, I could never love God like that, you can instead have the record of Jesus and the welcome of Jesus, and you can walk with Abraham looking to the character and actions of God in your place. If that's you and you want to know what does it mean to repent of sin and trust in Jesus and to be saved, come and grab me. Don't put it off. Don't wait a day and just say, oh, maybe someday. No, if you feel the weight of your sin that you have not loved the Lord as you ought to, then let today be the day that you look to Jesus. So this passage teaches, calls to us and says, this is how you love the Lord. By looking to his character and looking to his plan. I want you to imagine what happens at your work this week. In whatever your job is, maybe you care for children, maybe you're caring for your aging parents, maybe you're a farmer, maybe you're a school teacher, maybe you work in a shop, maybe you manage people, work with financial records. I want you to imagine what changes in your week this week, when you hear the call of God to love the Lord with everything that you have, and that you do that by looking to God's character and plan, not to your coworkers, not to your boss. You're not looking to your work anymore to fulfill you or to satisfy you or to protect you. That sounds like work that can be done a little freer, maybe a lot freer. Work doesn't have to provide, the Lord can. Imagine what happens in your home this week when you find yourself tempted in whatever way it is to love yourself and to love things more than you love Jesus. And you hear the call of God, love the Lord even here. Trust my character. Trust my plan for you here in this home, in this place, in this place of waiting. I want you to to imagine what our church looks like in our community when we don't lower the call of God from loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, but we raise the bar and say God has called us to love Him more than we do right now. But imagine what changes when the way that we do it changes. We do that because we are looking to God's character and we're looking to God's plan. That sounds like a good news kind of church here in Manchester and Scott County. Church that says, yes, we will love the Lord our God who gave His only Son for us. Let's pray. God, we, I thank You 
that just like with Abraham, you call us to give up everything we have. But you go first and give up your only son for us. I pray that we would become a people motivated and dominated by that thought. In Jesus' name, amen.